Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Very Reasonable Pilots Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Long, and with me, as always, is my co-host, editor, producer, co-pilot, gunner, navigator, orator, and beer aficionado, Jacob Galath. How you doing today, Jacob? I I would certainly not say I'm a, I'm a beer aficionado. No, he's an aficionado, folks. Now you got five I... minutes of cold open. If if this episode doesn't have a cold open, I'm going to flip my fucking shit. I'm <laughs> oh, you had a so cold open in so long, and I'm going to cut this one out, too. Fuck, no. They're never I lo- good. I mean, we have the shittiest cold opens. Yeah. Whatever yeah. you open, I, I, you know, there's a couple of good ones. Like, I remember one time you started off talking about how to fix a toilet, and I was like, this is this is going in. This is gold you know? right here. Wax. Comedy gold right here. But you have a TV show. At least I hope you do. I do. Right? I have a TV show that is a direct sequel to episode 104's The Hate as well as tying in characters and themes and storylines from Good Luck and Get Fucked, episode 166, and the the classic Fear and Loathing in 2084, episode 14. That was episode 14. Oh. I was baffled when I saw that that was only episode 4. I thought it was like 50-something. 14? I mean, that was, that was like two years ago. That was a really long... It was a long time ago, a lot of stories ago. Uh, and then we have this this episode, episode 182, right? Americana Bazaar is the name that I've given this episode. Because it's weird, and it's in America. And that's the only reason. Uh, and it's definitely not because I think it sounded cool. Americana Bazaar. I gave a little tease at Americana the end of the... Americana Bazaar. I like yeah. it. It's a, it's a good I, title. I, yeah, I gave a little tease at the end of last week's episode. Uh, Jake said he was going to bleep it, but I don't know if he did. But this is the return. Did, uh, did you not listen to the episode, Charlie? I listened to I most of it. you know, it. because you listened to the episode, you saw the ending where I, I bleeped it. You did bleep it. All right, then the folks mm-hmm. don't know that this is uh, the return, the valiant return of our intrepid hero, uh, Jimmy Kink. A failed poet who spent most of his life traveling the U.S. looking for purpose. He's a he's a sad man. He's a cynical man, and he's a hateful man. And he's usually accompanied by his uh, loyal uh, best friend, H.M. forty one seventy four nine, A.K.A. H and M. A clone uh, human who has grown to do manual labor in outer space mines and so far and so so uh, on and so forth, but has since been granted freedom via legal proceedings and therefore is now back in the U.S. and traveling the world with Jimmy King. Ja- traveling the U.S. with Jimmy King, not the world. We're not going to the world, the rest of the world yet. This is Americana Bazaar, all right? It's about America, all right? And this show is, uh, it's, it's going to be bringing a lot of characters from a lot of previous episodes. You know, you maybe not, won't remember all of them. And that's okay. I'm not going to get mad at you. Jake might, but I'm not going to get mad at you if you don't remember all the characters from, from Good Luck and Get Fucked. Because if I'm being honest, I don't remember all of them either. But while I was writing this, I had a really good idea that was like, oh, that should be that guy from that show. And so I just wrote it in. Um, but mm-hmm. you know, it just you, if you want, you can go back. You can have a listen. Tell tell me what you think. Enjoy. But uh, right now, we're gonna get into it. Get into the nitty gritty. 
of the show. Oh, turn the page. Turn the page, folks. Everybody watch out. We're turning the page. Episode one. Jimmy King finds himself wandering the desert alone. After stopping on a cliff face, he surveys the landscape. With a curt nod, he begins to dig a small hole. Into the hole, he pours ashes. And with a a hollow thud... God, I don't know. I've got mush mouth today. Maybe it's the beer. (laughs) That might be it. Um, With a hollow thud, the unmistakable eyepiece of H&M falls into the hole. He kicks the dirt and dust over his friend's grave and lights a cigarette. After a long, Charlie, you did not just kill off. Yeah, I did. Off screen. H&M is dead. The the heart and soul of... Uh, Didn't even loathing. see it, just dead. Boom. Mm-hmm. Exactly. He's dead, and we're gonna find out why in a bit. And it's going to be very much keeping with the universe and with the sadness that follows Jimmy King around, like a like a a, a rain cloud. Right. Uh, I, I like to think that the uh, the actor for H and M will have uh, he sort of Harrison Ford's boards did you know he was like all right i don't want to be in this fucking thing oh that would be funny no but he he is in this show he's in flashbacks and stuff there Uh, are a few flashbacks he's still got to show up to set yeah he's got to show up to set he's got to be bald (laughs) like i hope Mm -hmm. the guy who does h&m really likes it because if he doesn't he will hate my guts because i'm like uh, he'll read the script he'll be like yes i'm finally dead and then he has to still has to shave his head and like show back up you know who I was thinking for, for H&M to cast? Nick Offerman. Who? And you, you pick him a lot. I like you, you Nick, Offerman, Nick Offerman. But I've, I always imagined H&M as being kind of like a dude who's like a little bit past, uh, like he's a little bit, you know, fat. He's a little heavy set. He's uh, middle-aged and completely hairless. And I think, A, shaving Nick Offerman, uh, to be like no eyebrows, no nothing would be pretty funny, and B he kind of fits the rest of the uh, rest of the vibe because because H and M is a really happy-go-lucky guy, and I feel like Nick Offerman could be if given the right material. Uh, but back back to the okay. back to the story. After a long, thick drag of his cigarette, he begins to walk back to the highway. Hours and hours of hitchhiking go f- go by before he finally gets a ride. The robotic driver is an or- older model with a greater respect for human life, and he decides to pick Jimmy King up. He rides for hours. The day turns to night, and Jimmy arrives at the transport's destination. Swallow Marsh, population 3,000. Jimmy lights another cigarette and walks into the local dive bar. The tender puts a glass of whiskey in front of him, and two men and the two men closest to Jimmy move in. After a few minutes of questioning, Jimmy becomes belligerent and rude. And he be- and he begins his tirade of curse words at the two men and the bartender as they close in. Then we cut back to the outside of the bar and they throw him out the window. After a vicious beating nice. by the men, Jimmy ends up in the local jail cell. He falls, a, ah. he falls asleep, bleeding in his cell. And as the dive bar closes, the barman shuts down for the night. An unseen figure approaches approaches the uh, bar. A look of recognition and then fear strikes across his face before the screen goes black. 
The barman's dog barks and growls until the mysterious figure kills it in gruesome fashion, with the squelching of of blood and bone being our only clue. Uh, That's the end of episode one. It's very quiet. You had to kill a dog, didn't you, Charlie? Yeah, I had to kill a dog because I wanted some gore to happen in the first episode. But... You're like, well, you know, no one will give a shit if the bartender dies, but if we kill a dog, that's that's how we get people to care. Well, actually, the bartender becomes a not a main character, but it becomes a slightly more important character, right? So this episode, right, we're setting it up. Jimmy King he arrives. At this dirty, gross, uh, tiny town in the middle of these, like, marshy, you know, swamps, right? I'm thinking very much kind of like Louisiana vibes, (laughs) you know? Like, it's very much there's, like... We're, we're, we wouldn't put it so much on the nose that there would be, like, gators around, but it would definitely be, like, they're outside of the town... The, the nature that still exists is very dangerous. And so the only, like, real respite you have is to come into this town, but it's a really small town. And we're going to discover the uh, the family feud that engulfs this town. Oh, Hatfields uh, and McCoys. Exactly. Well, you have to. If you're going into a small town in the south and you have an outsider character, you have to do a Hatfields and McCoys, uh, you know... Capulets and Montague uh, style situation. Yojimbo. Yeah. Have you seen Yojimbo? No, but I've heard uh, people say Well, that's say the movie Yojimbo. that, uh, what is, what's the classic? I think it's, um, the first, the first Clint Eastwood movie. Okay. Um, not the good, the bad, and the ugly. The, uh, the man with no name or something like that. Mm-hmm. Or no, it's, uh, Fistful of Dollars. That's the, exactly dollars. the premise. Like, he comes into the town, the town, he's like, uh, you know, gonna... There's two families that are feuding over the town. He's the gun, you know, the the gunslinger that sort of mixes things up, which is the same exact plot as uh, Akira Kurosawa's Yojimbo, except it's okay. samurai in that case. That makes sense. Yeah, I think, uh, Kur- but, Kurosawa yeah, did it first. So I want yeah. the vibe of this episode to be very much they don't like you. You know, these people don't want you here. And sure, the bartender gave you a glass of whiskey, but he gave you a glass of whiskey to loosen you up so that you tell. The people around you, around, like, in the bar, why you're here. And Jimmy King, having just buried his best friend in the entire world, and the only person he's ever truly cared for besides himself, is not in the mood to be questioned by these, like, hillbillies, right? So he just starts getting rude, and he starts, like, throwing bottles and cursing people out and all this shit. But we notice when he gets, like, attacked... He, he puts up no fight. That's definitely going to be something that is very obvious. And another thing that I want to be pretty obvious is that almost every adult and some of the kids in this town are missing limbs. Right? Like oh, missing like, legs. Like arms specifically or just a leg or anything? Legs, arms, hands, feet. Doesn't really matter. Almost everybody's missing a limb and they all have robotic limbs. Right? Okay. Now, this used to be an old, like, mining town, right? So it's not all that surprising that, you know, there's some people who've lost some hands and feet, but it is to an extent that it is rather suspicious. And that's just going to be on in the background. We're going to see that going on, and we're just going to be like, huh, that's a little odd, and they are going to have the Ovoxium logo. Now, do you remember Ovoxium? 
Um, were they? They were in the last show, so they, they were good, in, good luck and get fucked. Exactly, they were the evil corporation that was growing yes. the vat-grown humans, right? Mm-hmm. That was their. That's their logo is all over the robotic limbs of this town. These are just the little background details that we're not gonna touch on in the first few episodes, right? And then obviously Jimmy King gets his absolute. He gets his teeth kicked in, wakes up in in the cell. You know, the next morning, episode two, wakes up in the cell with the town physician checking on him and the sheriff watching them both. Now, we are going to find out that this these physician, this physician and the sheriff are both extraordinarily people, important people in the town. Sheriff Harlow is the lawman of, of Swallow Marsh and the patriarch of the Hollow family, the oldest family in the town. And Dr. Lancaster is the town's only doctor and the patriarch of the Lancaster family, the richest family in town. And these are our Hatfields and McCoys. These are the groups that hate each other, right? Now, the Harlows, uh, they are not all that well educated, right? Maybe we see that their robotic limbs are a little bit rustier. They're not really as well taken care of, but there are many more Harlows than there are Lancasters. But the Lancasters have nicer things. They're, they have more money. They have more influence. And with that influence, they're able to buy muscle. So the people that they are lacking compared to the Harlows, they make up for with outsiders that they've brought in and hired as Lancaster enforcers, right? And the two men who are in charge of these families, as I said, doctor and sheriff, are, because they are the two, you know, most important people in town, they have to kind of work together, and they kind of have to be semi-friendly, but you can tell there's animosity there, because both their families hate each other, right? Yeah. And so, both these men propose a compromise with Jimmy, in which he is to investigate the disappearance of the local bartender in exchange for his freedom, as he is the only neutral party in town. No one else in town is biased towards one side or the other, right? And so... Oh, you could have a whole... I don't know how you have it set up, or mm -hmm. your thoughts are for the setup. You could have this whole, like, you know... They're fighting outside the cell. Like, we got no one in town. One, one person's offering one, you know, someone to do it. Another person's, you know, the other guy's offering another one. They're both, you know, shooting down every answer. And they have some sort of veto power against each other. And they're vetoing everyone. Yeah. And I, well, I don't know if maybe, that, maybe Jimmy, you know, throws his hat in the ring. He's like, oh, I'll fucking do it, you know? Just that get could out of the be cell. a good way to like, do right, it. Well, that's, that's I just had that at the end of the scene, Jimmy has to be... Just like decided as the investigator for this crime because neither the police department nor any other private investigating powers could be trusted but we could definitely mm-hmm. do like a scene where Jimmy's like asleep and we hear like these characters these disembodied voices just arguing over like maybe we can get Michael Richardson to do it no Michael Richardson worked for your family for 30 years Ain't no way I'm trusting him to make sure that my my favorite bartender gets back alive. You know, all this stuff. And then we can have Jimmy wake up and there's the doctor looking over him as the sheriff and maybe some other uh, important players in the town argue. 
and uh, or maybe we only have like a nurse uh, fixing Jimmy up as the important players argue and then Jimmy mm-hmm. says so it sounds like to me you both uh, have a problem with the other side right that's an understatement of years son well I'm a neutral party I don't give a shit about either of you people why don't I investigate it here's my card are they all are they all country accents uh, I was gonna I would imagine that they're all country accent but like again the, the Harlows are, like, more hillbilly, like, what you doing right here, boy? Whereas the uh, Lancasters... Got, like, sort of plantation owner. Exactly. Oh, my. Dear me. What happened to you? You know, Dear that's... Dear me, a, darling. What's going on here? Yeah, exactly. And so they decide that, yes, Jimmy King is the only person that can really be trusted to help uh, figure out who the bartender who kidnapped or murdered the bartender, right? And so uh, he is set up with a cabin that's on the outskirts of town, but equidistant between both the Harlow family home and the Lancaster family home, right? So they, they're equally... It's the, it's the home of the old sheriff. Exactly. The old sheriff, McGillicuddy, who... Didn't didn't like McGillicuddy. this. McGillicuddy. That's a great great name. You just threw that out of nowhere. That's a good name. I like that. McGillicuddy. That's my, that's my you know, good. That sounds futuristic, but also hillbilly. Yeah. Well, old Sheriff McGillicuddy never gave much mind to the <laughs> Harlows and Lancasters feud. He had a cabin outside of town. Why don't we give it to this uh, this uh, King feller? That sort of thing. And so he gets a beat up pickup truck and a. What do you call it? Yeah, the cabin outside of town. Also, I wanted to be known that in both Fear and Loathing and 2084 and The Hate, Jimmy King had a car that he cared very deeply for, right? Yeah. Uh, that is appeared, and they dro- were driving away from it, driving away from the city of L.A. in The Hate with it. I just wanted to be known. That's what's happening. It's like that red... Um... Sports, not sports car, but like uh It's like a red rider. Yeah, exactly. A Firebird, or I can't remember what the name of the car was. You, you gave a name, I think. Some Mustang. Like what, or... what, what, what you kind of wanted it to look like. Yeah. Of, uh, it's it's like a muscle car, but it's like a 90s muscle car. Mm-hmm. Something like that. We'll, we'll figure it out. Whatever's in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, the movie. That's, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Uh, but... He doesn't have that, and I just want that to be known. That's, again, it's not really going to be touched on specifically, but that is a that is a part of the story mentally for Jimmy King. He's, he's pretty much lost everything that he's ever cared for uh, besides himself. And so he gets given this pickup truck, and he decides to drive out and fi- uh, go to the co- crime scene. And he sees all the Harlow boys setting up a kind of slap shot uh you know crime scene because they're not really police officers they're all just cousins and nephews of the sheriff who got the job because their last name's harlow right and so uh he goes out and he starts looking and we see this dog has been fucked up right uh, my, my in my mind, uh, it got turned inside out, right? 
Like the dog's oh, just inside. Is it the it. same killer from that one show? Y- um, it's not. Yeah, but I don't know it, if you remember what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, I do. The the like nun uh, western show, the western show, and oh, then there was that the nun one. at the, the end. Um, no, no, it's the uh, not not poets of flesh. It's poets like, of flesh. That was a good one. Oh, yeah, maybe it was I, poets of flesh. It might have been poets of flesh. You're right. Um, you, had, you had somebody that I think turned people inside out in that show, right? Yeah, I think so. It was the aliens. They turned people inside out. Yeah. No, it wasn't Poets of Flesh. It was a different show. No, I, you know what? Uh, I'll, I'll come back to you in a second here. Yeah, doesn't matter. It doesn't super matter. Uh, he yes. investigates the but crime does, scene, you know. you know. He's utilizing his Death features. Ma- Death's Many Face. That's what the name is. Death's show. Many Face. Yeah. Turn people inside out, I think. Turn people inside out. Stealing their faces. Making a suit out of them, I think. If I remember properly. Dog face serial killer, I think. It was a good, it was a good, I like Dr. Dogface. Um, yeah, utilizing his, like, futuristic uh, cy- uh, augmentations and cybernetic implants, right? He's able to pretty easily discover fingerprints, right? They're fingerprints at the scene of the crime. Nobody else thought to look for that, again, because they're not actually detectives or police officers. They are country bumpkins with a special last name. Right, and they're so used to forging evidence, they're not used to actually gathering real. Exactly, evidence. but this is a guy that everyone liked. Everyone, he's one of the few outsiders that was embraced by the community because he had a bar, and he served everybody. You could have, a, uh, you could have a, a theme because you know we have to, you know, a way for this criminal process in the city to be governed is like you know one person. Didn't you say one one guy's the sheriff? Yeah. One okay, and then you can have somebody in the other family is the judge. So he'll constantly bring, you know, other people up for trumped up charges, but the judge will always let them free. So the, you know, the law enforcement system is basically at a, at a standstill. Yeah, that makes sense. That, that's good. I like that. And so ever, all the criminals on both sides of the family just get to go free. Um, which is good. Yeah. And so he figures out. Which is good. Yes. Yeah, it is good. It is a good thing for the world, and I think all criminals should go free. Yep. Um, Charles yeah. Long, 2024. He has found fingerprints at the scene of the crime, and these fingerprints bear, like, they have a logo on them, right? Of the local mine that's been shut down for years now. But... It is the it is unmistakably the logo of the mine, and after showing it to some of the boys that are around, he is like, "Oh, that's the mine nearby. Okay, I'll go there and see what's what." Right? And he grabs a couple of bottles of liquor from the bar, cause he's Jimmy King. He's not a saint, all right. He's a sinner for through mm-hmm. and for true. Um, and he is about to leave when he become he starts to be accosted. By Harlow boys, not the ones who are setting up the shitty crime scene, but like other Harlow boys. They show up and they start, you know, picking on him and they start like saying shit to him and they put a bundle of cash in his hand. They just like forcefully put a bundle of cash in his hands and they say, this is the Lancasters, right? This is the Lancasters, right? Like they're they're trying to get him to blame the Lancasters. And he says, yeah, yeah. And there's someone in particular, too. Like, uh, 
Um, uh, not not the judge, but someone important, you know, someone yeah. important in the Lancaster family that they're trying to get out because it'll help tip the power. Yeah. Um, uh, maybe we'll, like, I don't know. Uh, state prosecutor, maybe. Prosecutor. This is Prosecutor Jimmy Johns. Prosecutor Lancaster, right? You know, and they slap the money in his hand. And they say, good, I'm glad we had this talk. Before he has a chance to say anything, pat him on the back and push him into his car. Nearly throw him into his car. Right? And he begins to drive home. And he's like, I'll check out the mine tomorrow. Right? We'll get we'll get this all sorted tomorrow. And then he shows up at his house. And sitting on his front porch are a bunch of Lancaster boys. With some hired muscle with them. And they put a bundle of cash into his hand after threatening like not overtly threatening but they get the like the big guys to the hired muscle to crack their knuckles and they say you know you wouldn't want anything to happen in this beautiful old house would you put it in his hand this was i don't know think of uh, uh think of another we, it could be a prominent business owner in the harrow's family so uh what what would you say they're big uh, it could be a big money maker for them like uh yeah the head of the mining corporation's son. Head like of the, the head, whoever's in charge of the mines' son. Yeah, or... Is, uh, they're saying it's him. I think... Shipping. Maybe shipping. They're trying, they're, I, I'd be, like, trying to cut down their funds, because the Lancasters are more money-based, and they want to get into the industry, right? Yeah, that so makes sense. Some, whoever, you know, shipping or something like that, something that they could then take over, mm-hmm. and then weaken the power of the Harrows even more. This is uh, Frederick Lancaster... This is Frederick Harlow's... Uh, he did this, right? You know, and they put the money in his hands. And they all walk away very threateningly. You know, begin to just wander into the darkness of the woods. And, uh... <laughs> yeah. Jimmy goes into his, uh... Into the house, and he just, like, rubs his temples. And he's just like, oh my god, what the hell have I gotten myself into? As he opens up a bottle of liquor and takes a big swig and lights a cigarette. And of episode two episode three a very familiar looking car rolls into town very familiar cherry red convertible car rolls into town you might have remembered it from a different show uh and a hooded woman steps out carrying H&M's blinking eyepiece the one that was buried at the very beginning of the show oh and a scanner. Girl, his, his girlfriend from the other show? Oh, yeah, you, you called my bluff. Yes. <laughs> uh, and a scanner that's just giving off the bleep, 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 right? That sort of thing. She walks into a local store and asks about Jimmy King. Jimmy King is sifting through, uh, is sitting at home pouring over his whiteboard with the red strings connecting everything. And he goes to check out the old mine. Finds nothing on the upper layers of the mine. But as he descends deeper and deeper into this dilapidated, abandoned mine, he realizes something. As he gets lower down, closer to the ground, the machinery becomes more uh, maintained. It's It becomes newer. It becomes a nicer machinery, right? Oh. And he can notice... Yeah the Ovoxium logo on just about everything. And that's... Oh, that, no. That's odd, you know? And he, he looks around, and this machinery is just... It's everywhere. 
and it's clean and it's mechanical, right? And he gets down uh, pretty low in the mine and there's, it didn't happen when he's there, but there is a mine collapse that blocks his path. Like he, he can't go any further. There's a collapsed okay. mine there. Uh, so he's like, oh, well, this is a this is a dead end, quite literally. I better go back up. And uh, as he, you know, ascends back up the mine, he goes into an office and he sees on the wall there's Dr. Lancaster and Sheriff Harlow. And in between them is a man uh, with his hands on both their shoulders with a big smile on his face, right? And oh. underneath of this man is written Mr. and then there's just a blank. Like, just Mr. and then a line underneath. Ah, uh, yeah. Now, this is going to be the same character who was the prosecuting attorney in Good Luck and Get Fucked. Right? Oh, okay. We're not going to bring that up. He's never going to mention that that was him, but that's who this is, right? Um, where was I? Yeah. Uh... So he decides to go into town and start asking about this Mr. Blank, right? He seems like he knows the two guys in charge very well, and he seems to have gotten them working together more so than they've. he's seen, like, more co- cooperation there than anywhere else. And maybe we'll have more clues in the manager's office, in the mind of them, like, working together, maybe them, like, sharing a laugh or, like, shaking hands or whatever, and he's like, Jimmy King's just like, why are these two men who seemingly have hate each other, hated each other their entire lives laughing together and smiling and working together? That seems weird. This Mr. Blank is the only connecting tissue between these two, so I need to find out who he is. And so he begins, he goes in, he starts asking Harlow boys, right? You know, he maybe cut the picture out. Who is this guy? You know this Mr. Blank? Who the fuck is he? It's important in the uh, in the investigation. Who is this guy, right? That sort of thing. And then the Harlow boys are like, "No, I'm, I'm, uh, I don't know, I don't know." But you can tell they know. Their eyes get wide, they get like stuttery, and then they just start walking away as quickly as possible. Then he goes up and he starts asking the Lancasters, "Who are these guys? Who is this guy? What's he do here? Why won't anyone talk to me about him?" Right? And all the Lancasters just kind of shun him. And don't bring him up, right? Uh, yeah. And finally, finally, uh, Jimmy King gets sick and tired of the runaround, and he goes and he finds the two patriarchs of these families. He finds the doctor, and he finds the, uh, what do you call him? Sheriff. And he says, Sheriff. I need to figure out who this guy is. I think it might be connected to the disappearance, right? And the sheriff, finally, he relents. He says, fine. That's Mr. Blank, all right? He repre- he's uh, Ovoxium's lawyer, all right? They decided to do right by us because we're a company town through and through, and he's organized with the company to get us our uh, robotic limbs, our cybernetic augmentations, right? After battles or accidents or the limb disappearances, right? He, uh, he gets us replacements, and Jimmy King's like, wait, what? Limb disappearances? Yeah, limb disappear. It's not connected to the disappear- to the- to the bartender going missing. That has nothing to do with it, 
All right, focus on that. The limb disappearances have nothing to do with it. And that's the end of the story. Now, keep your yap shut and get back to work, right? And they both kind of echo the same sentiment. And so Jimmy King just kind of like amazed that there's this whole like section of the town, like this whole thing that he doesn't know about, that there's all these limb disappearances that are seemingly commonplace here, that somebody will just wake up without an arm and he won't know why uh but ovoxium fixes it and it's so it's okay and with that he decides to get back into his pickup truck and he drives all the way back to his uh his town on the outskirts his his house on the outskirts of town and in there in the darkness of the of the house he gets in and there's a woman Sitting in a comfortable chair, legs crossed, the handgun pointed at him. Jem takes off her hood and looks up. Hey, Jimmy. Been a long time. End of episode three. Right? So Jem's there. She's not happy. Right? Jem starts... Episode four starts. Jem starts, you know, berating and talking to him like, Why'd you kill him, Jimmy? Like, he was the only one who ever cared for you. He's the only person who could put up with your with your nonsense. Why'd you kill him? All this stuff. And at this point, we don't know why H&M has died. So, it's, uh... Yeah, so we're starting to think maybe, maybe Jimmy did it. Maybe Jimmy might have killed him. And she's still got a gun pointed at him, right? And he, you know, is, like, just saying, like, can we put the gun away? Put the gun away. You know, I didn't do anything. Can we put the gun away? And she's like, you know what? You're right. She drops the gun and she jumps on him. Like, she's like, I'm going to fucking kill you with my bare hands. I'm not, you know, you're not getting a, an easy death because you killed H&M, the man that I loved. She was his love interest in episode one, uh, 104, The Hate, everyone, if you were interested. <laughs> uh, I'm really plugging our previous episode, aren't I? And so she's yeah. got a, it got him pinned to the ground, choking him out, and he's, like, begging her to please, please stop, please stop, you know, we can, I can explain this, you need to stop, right? And she won't, and so he, like, pushes her over, he grabs a pair of handcuffs that he got from the sheriff, and he manages to, like, hook it around her leg into the radiator after a bit of a scuffle, and so he's able to figure out how to solve this problem non-violently. We've, again, we've noticed Jimmy King who in the past is not afraid to pull a gun or hit a woman or smack somebody in the back of the head, you know. He's 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 not being violent, right, at all. Just, just something to notice. And mm-hmm. he explains, Jimmy explains that H&M, because of his, uh, his status as a background human, he was implanted with an expiration date by uh, Ovoxium. That expiration date was three months ago or whatever not three months ago let's say six weeks ago right uh was his expiration date he died peacefully next to me but i'll never forgive myself for what i did to him and you right and that's we're just gonna leave it at that for right now and she you know calms down she's like you know i i'm not sure i believe you Right, he throws her like a booklet or a pamphlet or something that explains that his model has an expiration date. And so she's like, fine. 
fine. I still don't like you, but you didn't kill him. I give you that, Jimmy. And then he explains the whole situation, the whole scenario with disappearances, and there's people going missing, and dogs getting turned inside out, limb disappearances, and this whole crazy fucking family. It's feud shit. And she decides to help, because she knows Ovoxium is involved in this. They both do at this point. And, you know, she, you know, if she can't take revenge out on Jimmy, she can take revenge out on Ovoxium, right? So, uh, Jem decides that she's gonna help Jimmy King solve this case, right? But she just still didn't like him. And so they sleep in separate rooms of the house. He sleeps in the bed, she sleeps on the couch. Because she's like, I don't want your fucking charity. He offers to sleep on the couch. She's like, I don't want your fucking charity. Jimmy, you're a piece of shit. And I know you are. Right? You sleep in the fucking bed, I'll sleep on the fucking couch. We don't have to look at each other. Right? The next day, they ride into town. Right? Uh, Oh, it's also, I want it noted that Jem is wearing H&M's coat. Right? The whole time. And she kind of like cuddles up to it. uh, While she's sleeping for warmth and for comfort. Uh, In the morning... They find out, they go into town, they find out there's been another kidnapping, right? The bartender's ex-wife was kidnapped. She works at the general store. Possibly, probably the same woman that Jimmy, that uh, Jim asked who, where Jimmy King was. Um, yeah, she's been kidnapped. Uh, but this time, the general store actually has cameras, so they're able to see who the kidnapper was. And it was this huge monolithic person uh, who broke in and they were bald and super strong no hair I have an enormous lumbering man thing written down and Jimmy and uh, Jem both recognize it immediately as a background worker the same as H&M with no cognitive implant so unable to think um just a lumbering, mindless creature. Also, I want it to be known that this time the violence escalated from a dog to a person. Specifically, the security guard for the general store who tried to stop this creature from taking uh, this woman. It uh, it ripped him in half. Uh, you Ow. know, bad news bears all around. But real gruesome stuff, mm. right? And so. That's when the little girl, who is the daughter of both the bartender and the general store manager, right? Uh, The little girl of this ex-couple comes up to Jimmy King and asks him to make sure that her dad and her mom get home safe, right? That's a little bit of pathos for you. Because Jimmy King of Fear and Loathing in 2084 would have just told her to piss off. Or been like, what, you you got the cash for it? You know, but this Jimmy King, he doesn't, like, get on his hands and knees and, or get on his knees and, like, give her a fucking lollipop or anything, but he says, I'll do my best. You know, uh, uh, don't worry, I'll do my best. That's all I can tell you, you know? Yeah. Because Jimmy King growing as a person, at least we think he is. Oh, character development, maybe. Yeah. And so, after... Jem and Jimmy have finished investigating the crime scene at the grocery store. 
they come out and there is this enormous gang of Harlows, right? These dudes and chicks with shotguns and like pitchforks and shit, and they are not happy, right? The Lancasters, maybe there's a few of them, but they are not really involved in this angry mob because they are like, we, you've been here for days now and you haven't figured out anything. You've just gone around asking people questions. We gave you money and told you who the the kidnapper was and you didn't do anything about it, you know, and they're out for blood. Like if, if no one stepped in, Jimmy King would be dead after the end of this, right? And so the sheriff, Harlow, is able to calm everyone down. Uh, Just calm them down a little bit, make sure that they don't, you know, do anything they might regret. And he's also called in Mr. Blank. Now, Mr. Blank is a slick lawyer man who denies all knowledge, but also gives the duo a clue in that he's meeting with the Clancasters after afterwards uh, in order to make a supply drop. Now, this is very weird because Jimmy kind of figured that anyone who's who can be summoned by the Harlows are not really friends with the Lancasters. But Mr. Blank seemingly is on very good terms with both of them. And also, Jimmy kind of gets the idea that Mr. Blank is not here for him, at least not here to answer his questions, right? And so, yeah, uh, he's, you know, he's there, he's just kind of dismissive of Jimmy and Jem's questions, and then Jem, like, maybe looks over his shoulder while he's sending a text, or maybe she's, like, able to slip something in his pocket and listen to him, uh, that he's going to the Lancasters to make a supply drop or pick up supplies, right? And so they decide that they're going to hand over to the Lancaster mansion and have a look in because that's where Mr. Blank's going to be. And so that's that's how the episode ends with them heading into heading towards the mansion, right? And actually, no, never mind because I, I never wrote down specifically what the flashback was going to be. And I think this is a good episode for the flashback in which we reveal that in his dying days, H&M promises Jimmy, it makes Jimmy promise to like renounce violence and to, you know, always choose, you know, try and find another way to lead your life that doesn't involve destruction and hatred and violence and cynicism, right? And Jimmy, you know, he says that he can't, he can't get rid of his cynical nature, but he can, at the very least, you know, not do violent things. He can make, he can mitigate violence. He can make sure that he doesn't do anything violent and stops other people from doing violence, you know? And that's why Jimmy's not been, uh, not been doing violence against people who, by all rights, deserve it. That's what I'd say to, to you and to the listeners. Hit someone in the face. Even if you don't think they deserve it. Okay. Yeah, Jake, what do you think of that? Is that a good message for the show? No, I'm gonna... To go back on that, don't don't hit people. It's not nice. No. Alright, fair. And then after the that reveal, you know, he is... Uh, they, Jem and Jimmy, decide to go and investigate the Lancaster Mansion. And the episode ends with them pulling up the 
pickup truck in the very outskirts of the mansion, turning everything off, and then beginning to walk towards this huge, looming, enormous, uh, very gothic Victorian-era mansion, right? Have you ever seen Crimson Peak? Uh, no. No, all right. Well, it's a Guillermo del Toro, like, gothic horror movie, and it's all set in this, like, dilapidated, falling-apart mansion. But from the outside, it looks very much put together, and that's kind of how the vibe I want to give of this, like, this is all, it's almost a haunted house, you know, that sort of thing. Because uh, this is kind of where we're getting into the set pieces of the horror in this show. So, Jimmy and Jim, using teamwork and cooperation, break into the Lancaster family house uh, during the family dinner. So, all of the Lancasters are downstairs eating together, and there's no one out. And there's no one upstairs. And so they get upstairs and they uh, begin tearing through the study and the, the offices of the important family members looking for evidence, looking to figure out what Mr. Blank is here for, right? Um, and in Dr. Lancaster's desk, they find these schematics for this huge underground complex, way bigger than the mine shaft could possibly have been. Like, Jimmy initially thinks, oh, this is the mine, ca- mine shaft schematics, right? There must be networks underground. But then he and Jem go over it, and they're like, there's no way this could be the mine shaft. This is something else entirely, right? Um, as well as multiple correspondence with Ovoxium and Mr. Blank about supplies and shipments, but it's all very vague, almost as if it's meant to be vague in case anyone finds it. Like that Jimmy or, no, Jem, because Jem is the uh, journalist. Uh, Jim, like, decides, like, this is the language someone uses when they're doing something immoral, illegal, or unethical, right? This is, uh, yeah. they're trying to hide whatever they're doing, because both parties know what, what's happening here, but they can't have a paper trail. And so with this evidence, they are satisfied. They're not sh- exactly sure how all of the pieces of this puzzle fit together, but they're satisfied. And they decide to leave when they hear this wailing, like this moaning coming from the walls. And they decide to investigate because that could be someone who's been kidnapped, right? That could be the people who've been kidnapped. Maybe it is Dr. Lancaster after all. He's this, you know, evil scientist or something. You know, maybe that's Jimmy's more outlandish uh, 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 theory, theory, but... It could really be anything, and they decide to investigate, and so they get into the dumb waiter, as you do, and this is very much the haunted house episode in which they're, like, avoiding people, and they hear creaks in the walls, and maybe the eyes and the paintings are moving, all this sort of creepy shit. Um, and they get into the dumb waiter, and they lower themselves down, or maybe Jimmy gets into the dumb waiter, and, uh, Jem gets into the laundry chute, and they both get down into the basement, and they discover this hollowed-out like bookcase they open it up and it leads into this vast underground basement laboratory right in which they see dozens and dozens of harlows hanged up by their wrists and their ankles you know uh just like mutilated and most if all of them are corpses right that have been sliced and torn and burned and cut right 
and they're like, what? This is, what the fuck is going on here? And then they see that one of the people is still alive, right? Uh, so Jimmy and Jim go over to him, and they figure out that this is a Harlow, right? He's a Harlow, and he's, you know, he gets, they, he's delirious, and he's losing blood, but Jimmy's able to, like, hold him together, and they're like, we have to find a way out of here, we have to get you medical attention, right? This sort of, you know, all this stuff. And so they start to escape, and they try to, like, kind of, they start to avoid people, and they're just about to get out when Dr. Lancaster finds them. You know, maybe we, like, he's, they're about to step through the threshold of the door when, like, a bullet, like, whizzes by Jimmy's head. And it's like they turn around and Dr. Lancaster is there with, like, his entire family with guns trained on them or something like that. And Jim is, like, just outside, so they're not seeing her. They just see Jimmy. And so Jimmy and the mysterious uh, Harlow boy uh, are recaptured and brought down into the quote-unquote dungeons. They won't call them dungeons, but that's effectively what they are. And Jim, having seen Jimmy... Yes, Seller or something like that. Jimmy be, you know, kidnapped by these people that she, for all intents and purposes, believes to be the, you know, people, right? She believes that these people are the ones who, you know, are doing the kidnapping and they're just, like, sick torture fetishists who like to get off on hurting innocent people, right? All that sort of stuff. Uh, She begins to, like, go to the Harlow home. She, like, gets in the pickup truck and drives away uh, like, determined to go to Sheriff Harlow and, you know, get his help because turns out that there is, this isn't one of those family situations like Romeo and Juliet where both of the sides are equally as bad as each other. There's one side that's much worse, right? That sort of thing. And then we cut back to Jimmy and the, the prisoner. Let's just call him, um, uh, Ezekiel or yeah, I don't want to go with... I was going to say Jedediah, but that's a lot of J's. So I'm just going to say uh, Zeke, Ezekiel. Um, in this prison cell, and Ezekiel, he's kind of come back to, and he's a little bit more cogent. And Jimmy, like, wants to know what's going on. Are you connected to the kidnappings? Or it's like, it's like no, I there have been kidnappings. I don't know, I've been down here for weeks, right? Like, I didn't know about any kidnappings. I just know that I was in love. And Jimmy's like, What? I was in love with a with a Lancaster girl. She was the love of my life, Sarah Lancaster. You know, she she was beautiful and she was smart and she was sweet. Or uh, yeah, Sarah Lancaster. She wasn't a, a you know snob like my family had told me all those Lancaster girls were. She was a she was she was amazing in every possible way. And when her family found out that she had fallen in love with a dirty, no good Harlow. They decide to take their their fury out on both of us, right? And so Jimmy's like, then where is she? We we can help her. We can get her out. We can all escape. You know, Jim, Jim's not here. Like maybe she can help her. And it's like, oh, you didn't see her? No, she she's in the room right now. And Jimmy's like, what? And just as uh, uh, Ezekiel says she's in the room right now, this girl comes over and she puts a tray of food and slides it into the uh, cell and then Jimmy looks up and he gets a better look at her and he can tell that there's this massive scar 
all across uh, her head. The Lancasters have lobotomized one of their own daughters for having fallen in love with a Harlow. Ah, oh, jeez. Yeah, it's really fucked up. I know. I I wrote that, and I was like, damn, I didn't know that this is... I didn't know this was gonna get as fucked up as this, but I couldn't figure out a better way to subvert the Romeo and Juliet trope, right? That one of them is horribly tortured, and the other one is lobotomized, right? And so, we... We cut back to, after that, Jimmy's, like, face turns, like, it, it, like, crinkles in horror, and he's just, like, disgusted and horrified by everything that, that's been happening. And we cut back to Jim. She's arrived at the Harlow house, and she's, like, completely, you know, out of breath, and she's, like, hysterical, and she's explaining, like, Jimmy's been taken. It's the Lancasters. You were right the whole time. Lancasters are taking Jimmy. We need to go. They've got him in a basement. There's these schematics they've been sending. They've been talking with a Voxium. I think they're gonna kill all of you or something like that. I don't know. We need to go. We need to go get him. And Sheriff Harlow kind of bleary-eyed from sleep. Like, it's like, what'd you say? Voxium, Mr. Blank. All right, let me go get my gun. She's like, yes, yes. Oh, my God finally something good something right's gonna happen and just as she like turns back around to look at him he hits her with the butt of his gun and she's knocked out end of episode five beginning of episode six baby the ending of the series where we tie everything together and i don't even have it written down it's just coming off the dome baby because i know exactly what's gonna happen oh right so they wake up uh, tied up in this massive underground uh, structure that's been built underneath of the town. Jim and uh, or Jimmy and Jem are staring up uh, outside of their cage, looking up at both uh, Doctor Lancaster and M- Sheriff Harlow as they look down at him. These were the wrong fall guys, right? Like, these were the wrong people to have picked. They're too smart. We should have just done what we always done, you know, blame some moron 15-year-old and send him down to hang, right? That sort of thing. Because turns out this is not the first time that this has happened. Not the first time that there's been kidnappings. Not the first time that they've needed an investigator. But this time they decided well we'll kill two birds with one stone we'll hire quote-unquote hire this uh pi uh to do the investigating and then we'll kill them just in some sort of an accident because turns out uh dr lancaster yeah dr lancaster and sheriff harlow have been working together this whole time alongside Mr. Blank, as he, like, appears out of the darkness, he's ex- he begins to explain that, you know, they've been harvesting limbs from this town uh, for months now, years even. Uh, they've said they've got this elite squad of limb th- thieves who uh, use the limbs in order to create new batches of, uh, what do you call it? New batches of fat-grown people, because they can't just use the same Ah. shit over and over again right the limbs are basically he explains as that as we have a pretty much endless supply of genetic material to create new workers and we get a lot of brownie points from the press when we give a bunch of bumpkins 
robot legs and arms because they lost theirs. Nobody asks how they lost them. They're hillbillies. They probably blew it off in fireworks. You know, on some fireworks or lost it in some machinery. Who cares? Ovoxium is their savior, right? And he explains that recently they've had some troubles with the law, obviously. We're, that's that's the reference to good luck and get fucked. They've had some trouble with the law and growing vat-grown uh, yeah. humans, right? So they decided to make their own race of humans. They're going to make their own people, right? And so they took the genetic material from the barkeep and the genetic material from the, what do you call it, the general store manager, both of which had robotic limbs. If we saw them or not, it doesn't really matter, like feet or arms or whatever. And they combined it to make their own person, but this thing was unruly. It was angry. You know, it's almost as if it could tell that it was not where it should have been, right? Because it was, it's its own person, right? And that is the creature that has been harassing the town that's been kidnapping people and stealing people and killing people. It's the the horrible birthed child of uh, two members of the town. And so, Mr. Blank, Dr. Lancaster, and Sheriff Harlow decided that they could use this creature, this vile monster, to their benefit because their scientists have determined that if they were to get clean genetic samples not limbs, but in fact from the reproductive organs, they would be able to grow their own successful, completely uh, brainless workforce that would be able to evade the most uh, recent set of le uh, legislation that have put, been put in their place, put in front of their workforce, right? And so we show that the bartender and the uh, what do you call it? General store manager. They've both been held and they've both been harvested for their reproductive mirror, uh, material and then executed. Right? They're both dead. Damn. It's very, very grim. Um, especially because we met their daughter and their daughter was very nice. But because yeah. of uh, using the, what do you call it? The enhanced and sped up, you know, ways. I forget the word. You know, they, they, they made a baby fast. <laughs> That's the only way I can say it. They used the, uh, you know, the sped up uh, Asian process technology. of uh, yeah. having the genetic material that they've already got a baby that's about, you know, maybe six months old at this point, uh, even though they only kidnapped them a few days ago, right? And then we, ha we have... Uh, this is when we've got like, oh shit, that's a baby. They've they've made a new baby, and at that point, uh, Jimmy and Jem are like absolutely baffled by everything. They realize that this has all just been some corporate scheme, and that the feud between the Har Harlows and the Lancasters has all been manufactured by the people in charge in order to make sure that the the families they don't ever really question well why are our limbs going missing that doesn't fucking happen to anyone else in the world but 
to us. And then, uh, but it does because Dr. Blank or Mr. Blank does reveal that there are little towns like this all over America, just tiny little towns that have been feeding Ovoxium's uh, need for genetic material. Right? And so as this is happening, they're, you know, their minds are being blown and they're absolutely, you know, completely befuddled and baffled by all of this. And Dr. Lancaster and uh, Sheriff Harlow are charged with, you know, get rid of them, kill them, eat them, burn them. I don't care. You need to get rid of them. And then we can get back to, you know, the business at hand. And Mr. Blank walks away. And as uh, as he walks away, Sheriff Harlow and Dr. Lancaster turn to uh, our, our intrepid heroes, and they decide, well, why not just get rid of them uh, the same way we got rid of that uh, pesky security guard at the uh, at the uh, general store? You know, maybe maybe we can have a little bit of a joke here. Like the reason that that guy was uh, was murdered by uh, the lumbering man thing was simply because, like, Sheriff Harlow didn't like him. You know? Oh, he's walking around. He's got a badge. He thinks he's a real cop. I'm a real cop. That guy's a, a fraud. He's a, he's a jackass. You know? That sort of thing. Yeah. Just a little bit of lightheartedness to go along with all... To make the sugar to make all this, you know, medicine go down. All this horrific, horrific medicine. And just as, you know, they've decided it, and then they let the lumbering man thing into their cage, Right? And uh, Jimmy King and Jem are able to free themselves, and they're kind of in this, like, life-or-death brawl with this man-thing. And it's kind of it's not a brawl as much as they're just, like, running around in circles to get away from it when Jimmy King has an idea. Uh, he says to Jem, pass me the, what do you call it, the eyepiece, H&M's eyepiece. And as she does... He takes out the most important bit, basically an SD card, out of it that was his personality drive. Not the thing, it's not his memories, it's not his, you know, ideology, but it's simply his, like, thought processes on a drive. Because without it, he's, a, again, a lumbering man thing. But this, this creature is not built to have a personality drive implanted into it. It's too far gone, it's too mutated, it's been used... It's too old, and so Jimmy decides that the only real way to stop it, to put this thing out of its misery, and he jumps up on its neck and he slots the the SD card and basically gives it a, a, a brain aneurysm and kills it almost immediately, and he feels really bad because he broke his promise to H&M, but Jem promises him that he would have understood it was a life-or-death situation, and that thing, that thing, it didn't live... It was just being used, you know? And so Jimmy decides, like, all right, it's fine. He grabs the SD card out of the out of the fallen beast, and he begins to run. He runs through the the facility. Like, it's, it's all the guard... Not guards. I would say maybe we can have the limb thieves here. I was thinking, like, are we only ever going to mention the limb thieves, or are we going to actually see the limb thieves? And I think it would be good if we had the limb thieves, like it'd be kind of like the security force of this facility. And Jem, she just wants to escape, but Jimmy's like, no, there's a baby down here. And she's like, it's a baby without a brain. It's just this 
wad of flesh for Ovoxium to use and abuse. And he said, I know. That's what they thought about H&M too. Right? I'm not going to let just this living thing go to waste down here for the use of this corporation. And so he, you know, convinces her to double back and they go through and they bust through the natal uh, facility and they pick up this baby. Sorry. And they begin running and they are escaping and Jem is really doing all of the legwork when it comes to, like, fending off the limb thieves because they're, you know, highly trained, skilled assassin warriors who are, like, very good at sneaking into people's houses and cutting off their limbs without them noticing. So maybe we can have Jimmy, like, lose a finger and not even notice it until, like, two scenes later. It's like, shit, where'd my pinky go? Fuck. God damn, they're good at their job, right? He's, you know, and they're running through the facility and there's, like, all this stuff going down. Maybe we can have Jim, like, hit a, like... I don't want to have a an auto, dis- like, a self-destruct or anything stupid like that. Because, you know, I hate that shit when you're, like, playing a Resident Evil game or watching a movie. And just, like, they have a self-destruct thing on the big facility and then it's all good and goes away. Yeah, I hate that. But maybe we can have, like, there's a release valve. Not a release valve. Like, there's a release button for the cages that all of the, uh, you know vet grown people are in right and so the the like limb thieves are overflown with like thousands of vet grown people and a, a thing i hadn't thought of until right now is what it would be pretty good if we got all those vet grown people to be the actors of the Har- harlows and the lancasters throughout the show right because it's all made from their genetic material Right, so they're basically just clones, and we just have them, you know. Uh, but they're all like completely hairless and kind of like tubby, and you know that sort of thing. And they're just attacking and and tearing these uh these limb thieves apart because again they have no personality chips, so they're completely unable to form like thoughts more complex than like run, kill, eat, fight, you know that sort of thing. And so as that's happening, Jimmy and Jem escape from the thing. And just as they think they're home free and Jimmy's got this baby and he's so happy, he's like, he's managed to save one life, right? Uh, Lancaster and Harlow are there, right? They've both got guns trained on them, right? And they're not, uh, they're not happy campers. It's going to take months to get this uh, facility repaired and back in working order, and while that's being done, Ovoxium's not going to pay our, you know, it's not going to pay our wages. They're not going to fix our robotic limbs. We're basically fucked. You fucked us, Jimmy King. You're a piece of shit. And he's like, I fucking know I'm a piece of shit. And then he pulls out a gun and pops both of them. No. No, he doesn't pull out a gun and pops both of them. That would be funny, though. Yeah. If he pulls out a gun, holds it sideways, and pops both of them. Right? And just they've got a, they've got the guns trained on them, and then we cut to a different scene entirely, of Ezekiel. He's been tossed into a mass grave, right? They assume he's dead, or at least dead enough where it doesn't matter, but he's not. He's just got a little bit of fight, just enough fight that he's able to dig himself out of this mass grave and 
find his way into the pickup truck, right? Into Jimmy King's pickup truck. And he's like, I, I need to get into town. I need, I need to go see the Harlows, right? The Harlows will know what to do, right? That's my family. And so he begins driving into town and he like goes through the gov- glove compartment. And he fa- finds this, uh, this pistol. And so he, you know, pockets it just in case. But he's, you know, bleeding pretty profusely. And he's like, one eye is swollen shut and all this stuff. Like, this guy is really fucked up. And so he's driving into town and he sees, like, well, Sheriff Harlow's finally caught. He must have caught those kidnappers Jimmy was ca- talking about. And then he gets a little bit closer and he says, like, is he standing with, with a Lancaster? That's the guy who's been torturing me for months. What the fuck? And then he gets even a little bit more clo- uh, closer and he sees, wait, no, he's holding. And he, he sees that uh, his his uncle or whatever and his, you know, torturer are teaming up to kill uh, two people, the only two people who ever tried to save him or do right by him. Yeah. Um, and so he just fucking plows through them with the uh, with the pickup truck. <laughs> Flattens oh, both of damn. them. Yeah. Yeah. And then One he gets end. out of the pickup truck and he hobbles over to his sheriff, uh, Harlow, and he's like, nephew, th- you're here to save me, thank you. And he's like, not today, you, you old son of a bitch. And he blasts him in the face with the revolver, right? That's the end of the show, is with Jimmy holding the baby and caring for it, and Jen and uh, helping Ezekiel uh, back into the car, right? To, to drive to get mm-hmm. some medical attention, right? That's the end of the the events of the show. Now we just have the epilogue, the wrap-up, in which we see Jimmy King uh, gets back into his car, right? He decide he's, you know, Jem has decided that, you know, H&M would have want wanted him to have it. And so he, uh, she gives him the keys and she gets the pickup truck and she decides to take care of that little girl who was orphaned, right? She's not going to take care of her in this fucking horrible town. But she's going to take her and, you know, they're going to go find somewhere somewhere good, somewhere better to live, right? And yeah. uh, Jimmy looks down at the baby that he's cared for, carrying, and he decides that there's really only one thing he can do. And he takes a- oh, H&M's eyepiece and his personality chip, yeah. and he slots it in to this baby and he's basically just returned to to zero by making this child into his best friend right and he gets back into his car and he drives off into the sunset americana bizarre i like it i like the ending hm's back it's It's like it's like uh, i'm sorry uh, it's like Groot. you know yeah dies at the end but he comes back yeah I am sorry. I did not mean to be talking that much. I, you know, it's, it's all good. Good show. I liked it. All right. Good. Well, um, thank you everyone for listening to the Very Small Pilots podcast. I'm your host, Charles Long. With me as always, my co-host, editor, producer, co-pilot, gunner, navigator, orator, podcasting associate, and beer aficionado, Jacob Gloth. If you like what you hear here and want to hear more, please give us a like, a follow, subscribe, tell your friends, tell your family, tell your dog, tell your cat. Remember... We will be here next week with a brand new televisual series for you to imagine and enjoy. Thank you, and have a good night. Goodbye.